You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, The AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Maria Menunos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz TV's UFC After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's UFC After Show. Hello and welcome to a special UFC AfterBuzz. Tonight, not only will George be popping in my frame, but we will be discussing <laughs> UFC Fight Night San Jose, Robbie Lawler versus Matt Brown, a super exciting five-round bout. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the most exciting non-title five-round fights we've seen in a while. Oh, we were yeah. talking about that earlier. Uh, but we are joined by an extra, extra special guest. We are here with yours truly, Art Davey. For those of you watching the show that don't know who Art Davey is, you need to do your homework. Art Davey was the creator of UFC 1. Not of MMA, but of UFC 1, the league that started all of this Literally that we are talking about today. why we're here, right? Why we're here right now. We would not be on UFC After Buzz TV if Art Davey did not create. If there was, would be no UFC. There would be no UFC. That is from the peanut gallery. <laughs> we are going to give him a much more in-depth introduction later and get into his story and how it all started. But first, got to do a little breakdown of the fights. Yeah. Art, did you watch the fights? I did not get a chance to see the Lola Brown one. I, okay. I understand I missed a great one. You no, did. Yeah. You did. It was a very competitive fight. Uh, obviously, two tremendous athletes. That's one worth uh, checking out. They'll, Definitely. I'm, they'll be replaying it, of course, you know, in the next couple of weeks. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was a, was a lot of fun. Um Go, go through the uh, Yeah, we're going to go here. through the fight card to the yeah. results. We're going to start with uh, Patrick Cummins and Kyle Kinsbury. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended in unanimous decision. Um, then we had 155, Jorge Mazavdal and Darren... Crookshank. Crookshank. There's a little <laughs> debate in the trailer how to say this one, but we, we settled on Crookshank. Uh, unanimous decision as well. Then we have Bobby Green and Josh Thompson. We were talking about this one last week. Mm-hmm. Um I actually made a statement that I would like to announce. I said that I thought Josh Thompson was going to win. Bobby Green. I thought Josh Thompson was going to win, too. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we both oh, said that last split week. Split decision. So did somebody else, obviously. Yeah, it was and a split decision. It was a decision. very worthwhile match. Um, super, super exciting match. Bobby Green, awesome guy. I think he's a SoCal uh, native. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, our last guest, Alan Jabon, was talking about him. And yeah. Giving him much praise of how good of a Another, fighter he the, was. The young Turks, yep. uh, you know, coming into the UFC and making their own mark. Definitely, uh, Josh Thompson, obviously a ferocious fighter, a guy that goes out there and is always energetic. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just, they both. We said this in the trailer. Like they both kept moving forward. There was never a dull moment. Uh, no one ever laid back on their heels. It was just constant uh, yeah. forward movement. I like Bobby Green's cockiness. If you notice, like every time Josh Thompson would get him a fight, he's like, "Yeah, just bring it. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing." It. I think it kind of got in Josh Thompson's head, though. I think uh, it was a mental. He's like, thing. "Yeah, my, my my punches aren't aren't afflicting him, so I think it kind of threw him off a little bit. Maybe kind of did affect the his, the way that he fought." Okay. By the way, I'm George Hermosa. I don't know. If, I, I don't remember if uh, we got yes. introduced. I was so excited. And this about is Jake. You haven't TV. figured it out by now, folks. You know, the ship, uh, the train has left the building here. You don't watch our show. <laughs> If you uh, didn't know that this is George Hermosa, this is Jay Tan. But what does it matter? Because they're watching it now, and mm-hmm. if there's a show that you want to watch, it's this one with our guest, the godfather of the UFC, Art Davey. 
whose book, by the way, Is This Legal, is available right now on Amazon.com, <laughs> Barnes & Noble, wherever there is a Barnes & Noble, and AscendBooks.com. Go get it. If that isn't a good PR person. Yeah. Well. It's on iTunes as well. We should try and put it on there, really? hopefully. It's on iTunes. You like can to listen to your book on iTunes? Or maybe read it. It's also on Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Bugs Bunny reading it. Oh, it's okay. hilarious. Well, that would be awesome. Um, uh, then we had Dennis Bermudez and Clay Guida. Um, mm-hmm. That ended in uh, round two of Rear Naked Choke. Yeah, you, you talk about, you know, we were just talking about Josh Thompson as a guy that always brings it and full of energy. Clay Guida is in that set as well. Yeah. You know, both of them had uh, stellar, well, uh, Josh specifically, um, you know, a stellar career in, in Strike Force, and uh, Clay had several matches in there as well. Mm-hmm. Both those guys, former Strike Force lightweight champions, too. Mm-hmm. I think Clay? I think Guida beat Josh Thompson for the title. Okay, I'm uh, m- missing that part of my history. I honestly didn't remember uh, he was Strike Force champion or not. God bless you, mud Wikipedia. on my face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as he has it in front of him. Um, I mean, I, you know, Clay Guida, uh, typical fashion, his hair down, and, and his, his hands going, and his hands flowing. Yep. Exactly what I was going to say. Uh, it was aggressive, but I think we were talking about earlier. Um, he isn't the Clay Guida that we may have seen a couple years back. Yeah, we may have uh, we may have seen Clay peak. You yeah, know, he's always known. I, I'd say he's even a, a cult status figure in mm-hmm. MMA as a guy like Diego Sanchez that you know will always bring it, and if he's on the card, you don't want to miss that match. Right. Um, but in this one, he. Uh, um, for you know, for not aggressive for Clay Guida, or maybe not as uh, as fast or on point uh, for Clay himself. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, and of course, you know, Dennis uh, Dennis took the fight to him, and Dennis is is an, again another one of these young upstarts that uh, has been around for for quite a while. He's had a good career in the UFC, right. but uh, really, I think is hitting his stride. You know, this was his seventh win in a row, and he caught Clay, uh, got him down to the ground, and caught Clay in a rear naked choke mm-hmm. uh, with a body lock. You know, to to accentuate. It and Joe Rogan it. said it uh, said it best. This is probably uh, his biggest win yet mm-hmm. for Mendes. Oh, yeah. um, he's on his rise, obviously going against uh, an OG, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like Quay Guida is obviously a big mark in, in your record. Yeah. Um, I think he said in the post fight he wanted to fight one of the top five, possibly a title shot. I don't think a title shot's underway just yet, but yeah. definitely a top five, top ten co- uh, competitor. Yeah, Clay Guida gets you into that conversation, but. Doesn't uh, doesn't make you kind of the lead point of that conversation. Right. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, Aldo's kind of been on top of that division for a little bit. So I'd say not so much a title shot, but give him a guy who is, who's at least fought for the title. Maybe somebody mm-hmm. like a Ricardo Lamas or a Chang Sun Young Korean zombie. I know he came off that separated right. shoulder against Aldo like about a year ago. So if he's yeah. ready to fight, I'd say put him up against Bermudez. Yeah, we're going to be hearing a lot more of his name mm-hmm. uh, going forward here. It was definitely a deciding match. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had Anthony Rumble Johnson and Antonio Ruggiero Noguera. Yep, little nog. Little nog. And uh, then, again, another name that we will be starting to to hear about in the the light heavyweight title conversation. Definitely, was, it was uh, uh, TKO victory Rumble. in round one. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. Uh, Rumble just came out, looked fantastic, and you know, little nog for the legacy that he has you know his career is, is one half of the Noguera brothers and their uh, their career and all the matches they've had you know and, and highlights in MMA history right uh, th- this wasn't the night that, this was not adding to it no I was counting the uppercuts and, and right hooks it was uppercut right hook uppercut right hook uppercut yeah. right hook Rumble pushed him against it the was... cage and, and just landed those shots and, and Noguera went down unfortunately but Rumble's yeah. always I think he's always been a top guy just with the weight I mean he's always either missed mm-hmm. weight or mm-hmm. you know I think he fought at welterweight he's just fought as low as welterweight and and uh as high as heavyweight 
he's actually holds a victory over Andrei Andre Arlovsky. I know yeah. probably Art's probably familiar with a little bit more of the Arlovsky, you know, guys like Couture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fang. Yeah, yeah, the, the famous fanged uh, yes. uh, mouthpiece, of course. Yes. He was, was he one of the first, uh, first for me at least, one of the first ones that I remember having that kind of mouth guard. Does it go back farther? I mean, in your No, days? actually, I think he was the first. Was he? Yeah. I, I remember that took me, uh, yeah. kind of caught my attention there and said, okay, let's watch for this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, before we talk about the main, though, what did you think about the uh, the undercard? Anything stick out? You said you saw everything except the uh, the main event, though? You mean... Uh, last night? No. Last night, I was I didn't totally catch away. Card. I was completely away from civilization. See, mm-hmm. when, when you got your legacy, yeah, <laughs> step away from the sport. We're still in the trenches and got to stay here. <laughs> He just built it, you know. Yeah. Now he can do whatever he wants. He looked at it and said, that's pretty good. <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> Actually, I was uh, someplace where I did notice that uh, John McCarthy mm-hmm. was refing last night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was refing the night before Bellator. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. Got, he's got to be the hardest working man in yeah. show business. I right. think what, Friday they were in Temecula. Yeah. And then yesterday yeah. they were in San Jose. Yeah. 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 I and saw, I followed them on Twitter and Facebook, mm-hmm. and I saw that uh, Elaine... John McCarthy's wife said that they drove yeah. literally straight from the Bellator event to the UFC event. That was after we, we had dinner wow. with them. And oh, yeah, they that's got right. up and, and we all left, went our separate ways. They got in a car. I remember this was probably at about one in the morning right. Saturday. They got in a car and drove from yeah. Temecula up to San Jose. That is insane. Yeah. So you were at dinner at them moments before. Uh huh. They took that drive, and then we saw him on TV a couple hours later. You know that Elaine did all the driving. Absolutely, absolutely. John's like, I'm sleeping. Yeah. And I noticed that John didn't drink at all when he was with us. And yeah. I said to him, he says, No, he said, I'm working. He said, This is a working weekend. It's a right off point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a uh, a Elaine, for that car ride, another five gallon tub of ice cream coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> and that Zimzam thing you keep talking about. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick, do you think uh, Noguera's pretty much done? You think he should fight anymore? Or? You know what? I, I was, I think, yeah, at least based off of that one, that it's, it's probably worth considering. Unless you're talking about, um, something, the equivalent of, for example, Arlovsky. I know we're talking different weight classes, but I remember when Arlovsky fought Brendan Schaub a couple of, uh, a couple of shows ago, we talked about how, to me, I would have liked to see Arlovsky versus Big Nog. Um, it's many years delayed, but, you know, at one point, guys, Andre Olarski was the UFC heavyweight champion and, uh, Antonio Rogerio, Rodrigo Nogueira, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, was a champion in Pride. And there was that era, Pride in Japan, if nobody else, uh, if, if you're new to it. But, you know, that, they tried many years to, to do, put together Pride versus UFC mm-hmm. matches. And it really never happened until a lot of guys would come from Pride would, uh, signed with the UFC. And so you saw Vanderlei Silva versus uh, Chuck Liddell, Miracle Krokop in the UFC with a bunch of different guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's – so this is a little bit past the prime, past the point that, uh, that it's heyday. But Arlovsky versus Big Nog, you know, would be something fun to see. And by the same token, that level of fighter, you know, f- from yesteryear really. Right. Um, if there's somebody in the light heavyweight division, you know, uh, at that that level. Um, that would make sense for Little Nog, maybe. But yeah. I think that's probably about I it. I just feel I feel that Little Nog has some fight left in him. I think he can still compete. Yeah. But he has to decide what kind of fighter he wants to be. We were talking about this earlier, and it's a great point that you made. Um, am I a guy that's in there, you know, fighting tooth and nail to get that title shot? And that's the only goal I have in the UFC? Oh, but there, I... there's also fighters in the UFC. Mm. I mean, guys that we've met and talked to, even, mm-hmm. that... 
are later in their years have already had those shots and are content with still being a competitor. And they're looking to do it for the challenge. At the, the same time, though, sport. it is a living, too. So this is how they live. This is that this too. is their job. Right. You know, yeah. so it's like, how else are they going to make money? Not that they can't, but right. maybe that's their mentality as well, where they really don't have much more options but to fight, you mm-hmm. know? I don't think that's the case for Little Nog. I mean, their <laughs> their name and their gyms are so established. Yeah, yeah enough, I agree. You know, that's true. Uh, but I, maybe not the top, you know, ten top five competitors for Little Nog right now. But mm-hmm. he can still compete actively in his division. I think. I think there's no. guys I'd like that are definitely still up for against him. Shogun. If you ever got a chance, go to UFC TV yeah. Fight Pass. Look up the Pride stuff. Shogun versus Little Nog. Yeah, that fight was awesome. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to see him again. Okay, our main event. Robbie Lawler versus Matt Brown. Uh, it went the full five rounds. It went the distance. Uh, it was scored 49-46, 49-46, 48-47. Yeah. Uh, we had a little debate about this uh, earlier while we were watching it. Um, First, you know, this was, as we said, one of the best matches, certainly the best five-round match we've seen in a long time. Non-title shot, yeah. Yeah, non-title, uh, maybe even title matches, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, very competitive. Both guys going back and forth. Mixing it up really well with kicks and shots, shots to the body, to the head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Robbie Lawler, of course, known for his heavy hands and uh, avoiding the ground. Matt Brown uh, has got quite, I don't know the, the number exactly, but, uh, you know, submissions, uh, got a big submission record uh, mm-hmm. in the UFC and has been on a, a big win streak recently. Mm-hmm. And this is, in a lot of ways, his coming out party, uh, is a delayed coming out party, if you will, because um, he's otherwise been kind of touch and go for a lot of his UFC career. But this is, you know, the, the crest of his momentum here. Right. And they really delivered. You know, this was not one of those matches that a lot of people were hyping up and it had all the elements on paper, but then didn't deliver. Mm-hmm. This thing delivered and then gave you a tip. You Absolutely. know? And, um, yeah, back and forth. A lot of, uh, um, Brown got, uh, Lawler to the ground a couple of times. And, you know, in, in speaking about the scores, the first time I watched it, I felt like it was straightforward Robbie. I gave Robbie all five rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we watched it the second time, it seemed much closer to me. And I'm not quite sure which round it was that Matt, it's very strange. I think Robbie still probably won all of those rounds, but Matt didn't necessarily lose any of those rounds. Matt looked great, you know, and mm-hmm. showed chin and heart. You know, he took Robbie's shots, the body kicks he was throwing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, didn't phase, uh, well, if, if it did phase him, he came back, you know, and stood strong. Right. So he's known for that, I think. He's always yeah. had perseverance in the cage and he's always, uh, kept a good battle against some of the top competitors in mm-hmm. that, in that league. Um, I, I, I did give a round, possibly two, to Matt Brown, uh, yeah. agreeing with the one judge. Um, which ones did you see, though? Definitely the fifth. Yeah. Um, mm. which we were arguing about a little bit, but I think it's a good debate, but I just saw more dominance overall in Matt Brown in the fifth, in the entire fifth round. You felt like there, he came back? Yeah, harder. he definitely had a comeback. Uh, he woke up in the fourth round, he was looking probably his worst round, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked really tired, really yeah. winded, gassed, whatever was happening. Yeah. He went into his corner after the round, and when he came back, it was just a, a new light had gone, come mm-hmm. on. Um, and the fifth round seemed to be his, you know, his best round. Yeah. He dug deep and really was, he was did, swinging he there. Was, he was so active. Like, it, it wasn't just that he was counterpunching or that he was staying consistent with Lawler. It mm-hmm. seemed that he was the progressor 
and that Lawler was almost countering him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, you can tell that Lawler was winning on the scorecard, but Matt Brown, he just came out that fifth round. He just came out swinging. He mm-hmm. was not going to yeah. give up. If he gets knocked out, he gets knocked out. But, I mean, right. yeah, that guy just does not give up. And I love that about Matt Brown. Yeah. I think even though he lost, I don't really think that he should really fall that much because he still mm-hmm. put up a great fight against Lawler. I don't think it's one of those rare agree. fights where there was really no loser. Just yeah. on paper, but, you know, it's plain to say moral victory, but I think it's so much more than just a moral victory. He, he really, mm-hmm. he really proved that he still belongs in one of the top three, top five yeah, welterweights. He, he can hang with the best of them there. And then mm-hmm. Robbie mentioned that as well, that, you know, there were two champions in that cage. There. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I think for sure, yeah, that Matt has, I don't think Matt's stock has dropped at all. Um, but, you know, you, you figure out who you put him up with next, and you give him another uh, top ten or top five guy, I Definitely. Think, I don't think he know? goes down from here. I'd, um, give it, I'd give him Tyrone Woodley, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's Teammate of Robbie Lawler. That would be an interesting call. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Robbie Lawler has had three fights in the last four months, I think is what they said. What a crazy turnaround That's there. That's insane. Yeah. Especially yeah. at the pro level. Yeah. Especially Ouch. not even at the pro level, not even in the UFC, but in the top ten like Robbie Lawler is. I mean, he is on... A fast-moving locomotive. He fought and- Hendricks. He fought. Uh, who am I thinking of? Jake Ellenberger. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and now Rory McDonald. Yeah, he beat Rory. Rory. Rory, Rory McDonald. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Every time. Well, we've got uh, certainly some more MMA uh, coming up. A lot of shows. Yeah. Uh, shows next weekend up was supposed to be our local show mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. It got canceled due to you know scheduling conflicts. Uh, who- and scheduling the injury. And right. the lack of uh, lack of another right they couldn't fill it show. so yeah lack of another main event mm-hmm. yeah so we get a break next weekend yay but we will be back the weekend after but <laughs> no, we let's won't. get We're to our be the week after that it's two weeks yeah it's August sixteenth yeah yeah we just can't wait to come back we just, can't wait to be with we you can just guys. come and just maybe review UFC one I think we were talking about that I got an idea oh. let's do that now. I'll and here's the guy for it, With sitting the in the guest couch. Who created it? <laughs> uh, okay, guys, just a little intro. Um, Art Davy is the guy who, the businessman, the inventor, the creator uh, who started UFC One. He's, you know, a guy from Brooklyn that, that came out west and found the right people, and over the course of a couple years, put together a show in uh, Denver, Colorado. Which was the first UFC. November 12th, 1993. Yep. It was at the point where these guys didn't know uh, what type of gear the fighters were going to wear, uh, what type of ring or cage or mat it was going to be played in or, or fought in. Um, it was really one of the first big mixed martial art events, which is a common term to us now. But back then, MMA really wasn't a, a term to throw around. Uh, he back wanted, then, it didn't even exist. It didn't even exist. Not for years later. Yep. Right? Art Davy really wanted to take different types of martial arts and put them in in the cage together. You want to tell them about the t- the yeah. Tecate thing. Start with that art. Tecate. I mean, we can be here for a couple of hours, <laughs> but uh <laughs> well, you know, when I was actually looking for fighters, right. A lot of people who I called on thought I was casting for a film. Huh. They figured this was Kumite. This was, you know, like Bloodsport uh, Part the, Two or something. Yeah. Into the Dragon Part Sixteen, something. <laughs> and uh, you know, they were they were doubtful that what we were really doing was really having, you know, a, a real event. So uh, I think I, I bring that up to suggest that at the time it was on everyone's mind that this type of thing could or should happen. Mm-hmm. And I, in my doing my research, I found out that a lot of people had been, you know, attempting to do something along these lines for a number of years. Most of these things never worked. You got two guys together from different martial arts. They argued about two things. The money 
and the rules. <laughs> As in, how much money are you going to make and how much money am I going to make? And, you know, is it done on a mat? Does it have gloves? How long? The rounds? Grappling? Gi? No gi? You could never get two guys to agree. I, I said in the book, it's like actually getting two pit bulls to, uh, to discuss the distribution of a steak. <laughs> 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 you know? So, you know, w- when I did my homework on this, uh, uh, I found that, you know, all the way back to the ancient Greek Olympics, mm-hmm. there was such a thing. And if anybody is into MMA today, many of them know that, you know, that way back in the day that the Greeks were actually doing this with no biting and eye gouging. And pancreation. Ha- pancreation, exactly, Daria. And it actually became, within very few Olympics, the most popular sport other than horse racing on the Olympic program. So uh, my own personal baptism was that I was training for the Golden Gloves back in the 60s before I went in the service. And a friend of mine showed up on the beach out in Hampton Bays, out on Long Island. <laughs> and uh, he, was, he was the local wrestling stud. Apparently, he'd come in third or fourth in a state championship at 76 kilos. And we got talking on the beach about it. was just the three of us. We were goofing around. And make a long story short, we went up sparring. And the sparring turned into something real. But I wound up with a double-leg takedown on my butt on the sand with this hmm. gorilla on top of me. And I'm going, what happened? Huh. Everything I had, tr- you know, I was hooking off the jab. And I, nothing. I, I was on the ground. So I, that made an enormous impression on me. And um, when I was in the service, it was a topic that would come up. You know, guys would sit around the squad bay. I was in the Marines. Hey, you know, could Bruce Lee have beaten Muhammad Ali? You know, Chuck Norris versus, you know, Sugar Ray Robbins. All that business. So, you know, it was a constant source of discussion. A couple of pals of mine actually went to Bangkok and saw an Indian wrestler versus a Muay Thai kickboxer in a Bangkok nightclub. Wow. And the wrestler lost. Wow, we debated that. It was like a hot topic for a couple so of So now days. your theory that you thought yeah. you had figured out that maybe a wrestler could beat a boxer yeah. was then reversed. It was reversed. So, you know, realizing that there was an enormous amount of heat behind this smoke, uh, years later, I'm working in an ad agency, and my boss has a client, and the client imports Mexican beer. Tocati, Carta Blanca, Bohemia. Yeah. And um, at one point, my boss says to the category manager, I'm going to bring Art Davey in. He's loaded with ideas. Mm-hmm. Art's going Art to come up with something really big. I had nothing. He brought me <laughs> into the meeting. I was sitting there and making notes and trying to act intelligent, asking questions. But actually, like, when I left, I realized that way back in the day, Bill Caton, who later on became Mike Tyson's manager and later became a noted boxing historian, had instituted a program of old-time fights that he used to sell Vaseline hair tonic back in the late 40s and early 50s. I vaguely remember that show on WPIX in New York when I was a kid growing up, you know. So I literally decided I was going to go do this with martial arts. And we went back and made this presentation. And I worked on it all through the fall of 1989. And by the spring, I think it was February, February, March, the, they looked at it and said, this is really interesting, but it's really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think we're going to be doing this. So, you know, all of a sudden I had this huge file. And in that file was an article that Pat Jordan had written about the Gracies in the September 1989 issue of Playboy magazine. Wow. It's called B.A.D. Bad. And it says that Hoy and Gracie is the most dangerous man in the United States of America. And he lives in the, in the South Bay suburb of Torrance, hmm. California. Well, just at that time, I was literally, my, uh, my headhunter had gotten me a gig at a direct response aid agency in Torrance. I'm literally within walking distance hmm. of the Gracie Academy. 
Talk about serendipity. Oh, right. the irony. Now, I, when I left the agency that had the Takati Beer account, I asked my boss if I could take that concept with him, the copy platform. He said, which one? Oh, yeah, take it. He's like, we're not going to do anything with that. He said, what was that again? It was three or four things we presented. And obviously, that was one that didn't stick in his mind. But I literally had this whole file. And I had talked to Karen Turner, who was promoting kickboxing up in Colorado for Coors Beer. I talked to T-shirt Joe Koffenberg here in L.A., who was doing some things. But nobody was doing what I was suggesting. I was calling it the world's best fighter. That was my working title. Right. And I saw it as a 16-man tournament. And I saw it as a pay-per-view event because everybody at the time was saying, hey, man, if we could get two guys together, you know, we'll take them out of the beach or Dondo Beach. We'll film this. It'll be in Blockbuster. You know, those brick-and-mortar video stores <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Videotapes were big there and right. pay-per-view at the same yeah, time. Definitely. Made their mark with uh, WWF yes. and, yeah. and that. And, you know, when I went over to the Torrance Library because there was really no internet in those days <laughs> and I was doing my research, I literally read like 200 articles on pay-per-view and it was only 22 million homes wired at the time. Today it's over 100 million. Yeah. So I knew it was wow. pay-per-view, number one. I mm-hmm. knew it was a tournament. And at one point I finally went over and knocked on the Gracie's door. I called them a couple of times, couldn't get a hold of Orion. Finally went over there. They were just putting the finishing touches on the new academy. Those boys had been teaching over at the garage in Redondo Beach. They had about 150 students. And it was Hickson, it was Hoyler, and it was Hoyce and Horion. And I left my business card, and a couple of weeks later, I finally got a call from Horian, and, and I'm trying to tell him about World's Best Fighter. And he says, uh, have you ever been in enrolled? I said, what? I said, well, he said, enrolled. I said, no. He said, you got to come down and do this. He said, come on down. So I'll give you a free lesson. So I came in and rolled with him, and I was like, whoa, this is... And I'm thinking <laughs> back to that, that situation on the beach. Down I here. could have used this, that, and yeah, that. Yeah, this is what I needed back in 65. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, was, I was blown away. We're sitting down at his desk, and he's literally taking the old cards from the students at the garage, and he's transferring them to these new cool blue cards that he's going to put in a Rolodex for the academy. And he has a whole bunch of cards on the table. It's card number one. I literally became student number one. It was just a freak because he hadn't done any but his old students. Even though you weren't the first student technically, just on paper, you were like, oh, number one. Exactly. He was the first one to do it. And Corian still teases me about that. He says, you know, you were the first student. (laughs) I said, let's let's remind people of that. You should be a black belt by now. Yeah. Can I tell you that too? (laughs) By the way, the old man though, and I talk about the old man in the book, is this legal? Helio. Elio Gracie. Mm. He's from another, he was, he was a, 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 like a knight, you know, like a throwback to another era. You're talking about a guy who didn't really fit in the modern world. He was something from another world. And at one point, I finally said to Horian, because, you know, I didn't speak any Portuguese. Obrigado. Right. Nada. And, <laughs> and the old man didn't speak any English. But at one point, I said to Horian, what, what does the old man think of me? This was after I started to do some business with Horian and things were cooking. He said, the old man says that the only thing Arturo Davi knows about jiu-jitsu is how to make money with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I mean, you know, I, as I said in the book, George, yeah. skill. <laughs> I said in the book, I wasn't really sure at the uh, time. But, you know, the true story was is that I met Horion, you know, literally in, in, the, in the summer of 1990, but it's the fall of 1992 that I finally get him to agree to do the world's best fighter. Right. He wanted to do the Gracie Challenge. And I right. said, that's like getting two of those guys together and they don't agree. And it, in fact... He and Benny Urquidez had been round and around about it. The Jet. Benny the Jet Urquidez. Great kickboxer, by the way. You look him up, got great credentials. And they would argue about what kind of surface was it going to be on, would Horion wear the gi, all of that business. And Horion, of course, in the article that Pat Jordan did, Daria, was $100,000 challenge. 
You put up 100, I put up 100, whoever wins the, takes the 100. And the other guy goes, well, nobody never had 100,000 in the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading this in the book, and it was so funny. It was like, I asked him, I'm like, oh, so you're going to put $100,000 up there? And he said, no, there's no money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no money. It's like, what? Well, you know, the, the true story was the early bouts that I saw in in the back room of the Gracie Academy, which was so cool. The first one I ever see, John Milius is standing next to me, the film director and screenwriter. Right. And I don't know who he is, but I, I kind of sort of recognized him. And he and I are watching the same thing. We're watching some kid come in from Compton in a black gi, young fella with his posse, came in, rolled with Hoy, uh, Hoyler, got taken down, got choked out, and said, I don't believe it. I got to do it again. I, 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 don't, I, I can't imagine this happening to me. I, I didn't get a chance to use my kaboomer. Hold on a second. I'm coming back. And he got take, choked out again. So, you know, you watch two or three of these things, and you realize these guys are into something, you know. But it took me literally more than two years to convince Orion to do this. He and Urquidus, I finally, you know, Urquidus said, if you win, uh, you can have all my belts. Horan, so what am I going to do with your belts? <laughs> what are your belts for? You know, so th- these things always died. So it, I, as I tell the story in the book, I got turned down by HBO, by Showtime, by ESPN. That's pretty cool because in the book, you, you you have a picture of the actual letters at ESPN and, and Prime Ticket. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Saying, no, we're not interested. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And look at look at it now. I just can't believe yeah. the the struggles you dealt with with UFC one and, and looking at, at the company today. Obviously, there's been uh, changes in it, and of course, other people have taken it over. But you started what we now are working yep. for, what we now all see on this pay per view. Showtime turned you down. HBO turned you down. So the struggles with that. What is your uh, your your first thought? After that show ended, that first UFC show, what was your initial thought? Were you happy with the results? Because you said there wasn't that many people in person physically, but you were awaiting the the pay-per-view results. Well, we we actually had about 4,000 people counting the comps. Right. And uh, Barry Fay, the great rock father, the, the legendary rock promoter, right. who brought the Beatles to Colorado, among other things, was our local promoter. And Zane Bresloff, who worked for the WWE was my local promoter there as well. Zane has passed on, but he was Vince McMahon's guy in the Mountain States. Their campaign for what we were doing made our pay-per-view campaign look like nothing because they were talking about death and blood and Christians and lions. (laughs) It was rough. (laughs) So um, uh, the fact of the matter is that we were waiting for the pay-per-view results on Tuesday morning, which we would have gotten. Although that Dave Meltzer at the Wrestling Observer had (laughs) him late Monday afternoon, and when I... And literally, when I got the numbers, I said, "How does Melser get these things before we do?" Dave's amazing. Yeah, but uh, and that's why you guys should subscribe to WrestlingObserver.com, <laughs> print or uh, or online. Is that the like the? That's the thing. I yeah. Thirty million page thing that you well, read every week. Yeah, twenty four, but with the eight point font and all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're plugging everything here, guys. <laughs> we are the fountain of information. The you know, books, the fight pass. The newsletter. You know, Jay, you're kind of like the guy with the raincoat, and you open it up, and he's got the Rolexes. The <laughs> you know, what else you got? What else you Which need? Reminds me, my watch is fake, by the way. I'm not wearing it right now. But <laughs> better, than, better than that than the guy with the raincoat was there and nothing else. <laughs> yes, that. thank you. But to answer Darry, answer yeah. your question, we knew that the, that we actually went and took over a sports bar at the arena at the McNichols Arena Friday night, and I remember walking around with a Cuban cigar and a big beaker full of single malt scotch. And running into Campbell McLaren uh-huh. and from Seven Four Entertainment, our TV partner, and we looked at each other and we said, 
this thing is going to be huge. So you knew. <laughs> oh, you had that gut feeling that we it knew. was... As I point out in the book, it was a crazy wild time because, you know, doing the first one, we were inventing this stuff along the way. Literally, yeah. Literally. There were some surprises, Art Jimerson being one of them. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I knew from the, intr- the intrinsic excitement that was in the arena... And I knew from, from our TV production people who had been covering Bruce Springsteen, among other things, and riots and, you know, all kinds people, of exciting all kinds events. Of exciting events. Right. They were, they were open mouth. They were, they were stunned by what they were seeing. And I knew that we had a huge hit. The after fight party, the mass ball on Saturday night. And I talk about that in the book. It's mm-hmm. the last chapter. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I actually picked up the epitaph, the epigraph for that particular chapter, a little quote. Mm-hmm. to kind of summarize that chapter and it's an honor shared is not diminished because mm-hmm. all of those guys felt like winners in a way they all knew they had been through something extraordinary they all knew that they had survived some felt gratified with the results there were three unhappy souls right. that were at that party yeah, of course. and I can tell you who they were <laughs> talk but, about that in the book yeah. okay yeah and uh, but we knew at, we knew that night that it was huge uh, I walked around on an adrenaline high for a couple of days. We knew we were actually going to be huge. At one point, Michael Pilat said to me, well, you know, we're going to we're gonna tear down and throw away the octagon. I said, what? We're going to do what? He said, yeah, it's a set. He said, we're gonna, we'll rebuild it if we need it. I said, we're coming back to Denver. I said, I've got a rental place. I said, tell your grips to pack it. <laughs> <laughs> it was $28,000. We saved it. Jesus. You know? Wow. I was ready to tear Where it down. Where is that? Is that still exists today? Well, you know, uh, that's a good question. Uh, when I sat down and had a drink with Lorenzo Fertitta at the 20th anniversary show last November as oh. his guest. And we got talking about a couple of things. And Lorenzo said to me, you know, he said, when I bought the darn thing, he said, everything had been hocked. Bob Myrowitz, who we sold <laughs> to at Semaphore, had sold everything, apparently. Oh, wow. All the IP was, somebody really? else owned it. Really, and I think Lorenzo in, intimated to me they had to buy a lot of it back, like you know various wow. video tapes, and the so original on. footage, yes, and, so and so on, so on. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. He said, "You know what I bought?" He said, "I bought three letters, huh. UFC." So that's what I bought. Wow. And he said, on that basis, he said, you know, it was. I knew I had the right franchise. Right. And you know they they put a lot of time and money into it, and you've seen the results. Uh, you know, to get the deal they got with Fox, if nothing else. It was a signal to all the hardcore fans who, who stuck with us through the ban, through the, the pressure from the politicians and the media, that this thing had entered the mainstream finally. A few weeks yeah. ago, we were talking about, like, is there too many UFC shows? Just the fact that we were talking about too many UFC shows, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, that just says just, just says it all. That's a right. very valid point. It you know? is a yeah. good point. Uh, go re- you have to read the book. Um, there's so much that Art talks about in here that he's generously going over right now as much yeah. as he can but it's not not enough to fit in an hour too much to fit in an hour uh so you need to read it especially the first couple chapters that touch on the, the real struggles that went into creating this ufc that we now see today uh, i really really inspire you guys to go read that you know the thing that was most resonant for me when i first read the book was mm. uh was that in in going through the struggles and we, we've talked about this a bit art in going through the struggles of bringing uh bringing up the u of mma you know, my show with Turi Aldevilla, um, there were so many parallels to what you went through, mm. be it matchmaking stuff. I would see things, whether it's a, a fighter that turns down a fight that he should take or, or vice versa, you know, or equipment malfunctions or missing equipment. Yeah, I've dealt with that. I know exactly what that's right. about, you know, or business decisions and, and challenges that I, you know, Turi is, has faced. 
I know I can pinpoint those in our history as well. And so the the thing that's really interesting is that it's the book has a timeless element to it. It's it's one part history for MMA buffs, and it reads so fast and breezy and mm-hmm. fun. It's fun to relive to read those pages again and relive them. Um, but there's also a story about going into the unknown, uh, having some kind of faith in what you're building up here, and going, I know. This makes sense to me. It's mm-hmm. going to make sense to a lot of other people, and they're going to buy a ticket, um, but not knowing exactly what it is you're building there, mm-hmm. you know. And and that applies to to life in general, you know, the challenges of life and going out on your own, pioneering into something that's a challenge uh, for you. But uh, you know, that's there, there's that as well. So it, there's it hits, definitely a sub story, like yeah. you're saying about uh, Art Davy as a businessman, as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, as a guy who. Who moved from you know Brooklyn, New York to the West Coast? Um, something I can relate to, and ventured out on his own and tried to make things happen, working for advertising. Whether he's successful in that and trying to pioneer his own thing, um, it's it's you're courageous in yourself and what you did. So for that, I appreciate you. Um, not only the UFC, but the journey <laughs> you went through. Thank you. Uh, and dealing with the Gracies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Obviously, the Gracie family has put a mark on MMA and jiu-jitsu in America, in Brazil, mm-hmm. coming from Brazil to America. Um, there's people that I respect as a martial artist, and I'm sure these two guys do as well. Um, you were very friendly, most friendly with Hori and Gracie. Obviously, he was part in helping Yes. Uh, do the UFC one. Yes. When you uh, began training jiu-jitsu, did you ever want to be a martial artist? Was that ever a thing for you? Because you were a boxer back in the day. Yeah. Did you ever, ever want to pursue that route, or was it strictly business and friendship with them? You know, I knew it was going to do me a world of good to be able to roll and learn some of the grappling. Uh, I, I, I was smart enough to know that I'm not a black belt in something other than business and promotion and marketing. Right. So I thought it was really valuable for me to get that blue belt. And I talk in the book about <laughs> Hoyler Gracie broke t- my ribs twice in getting that blue belt. So, you know, I, I, it, I, and I was, I was already 44 years old at the time. Are you still I, a blue belt? I still am a blue belt. <laughs> yes. I'm still a blue belt. But, you know, it was really good for me to, 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 to take that step because later on it helped me understand some of the people that I was booking, some of the people I was matchmaking. That's true, as a matchmaker. It was, it was an enormous asset. Uh, I knew enough, uh, enough about striking. I had taken, uh, at Vineland and Van Owen in North Hollywood, uh-huh. uh, Muay Thai lessons back in the day. So, that's you know. still where they're at. And they're still there. <laughs> right? I drive by there all the time. Right. They're still there. What gym is it? It's like on, if you go down yeah, Van Owen. It's MTA. MTA. Yep. So, you know, I I had enough of that experience, and it was really valuable then for me to have that. Um, The the Gracies were an an extraordinary family. Uh, I thought Hicks and Gracie, the family champion, was going to be the obvious Gracie jiu-jitsu representative. And then, you know, that summer, finally, Horian announced to me that it was going to be Hoyce. And I said... Hoist Gracie? <laughs> he said, he, he babysits your kids. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's the he, baby of the he bunch, He's the right? baby of the family. He, and yeah. he was like 26, in my opinion, he was like 26 going on 17. He's just a big kid. <laughs> and um, he said, no, it's going to be Hoist. He said, uh, for various reasons, we're not putting Hickson in. There had been some family issues uh, between Hickson. And, uh, and yet, when it came time for Hoist to have a trainer for UFC 1. It was Hickson who stepped up right. out of his love for Hoist, not mm-hmm. necessarily out of the, the smooth uh, brotherly relationship he had with Horian, but he stepped up and, and, and gave uh, a tremendous amount of t- coaching and training 
I never saw Hoist throw a, a leg jab in the gym, and you see him do it mm-hmm. in UFC one right away. That's Hicks and Gracie. That had to be a secret tactic they were working on to back up a boxer, especially or, or a kickboxer, but definitely a right. boxer. Yeah. And uh, I, I was still doing the matches. I was still figuring it out the night before the fight. I talk about that in the mm-hmm, book, mm-hmm. that I was still at the last minute. I just didn't want my two best grapplers to face each other at the end. So I put Hoist and I put Shamrock on that same wing of the tournament. But um, it was a formula that I had come up with and, and actually adhered to for quite a while. McCarthy still teases me about it. It was three sharks and five goldfish <laughs> in the tournament. Right. And it was always a question of really who were the sharks because guys could surprise you. To some extent, I thought Taylor Tooley might have been a shark, but it didn't quite work out mm-hmm. that way. Within like a minute, you're like, oh, he's going to be a goldfish. He's a goldfish. Oh, and there goes his tooth right there. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> one of the most famous uh, video clips from, yes. from the first one. That, the first fight ever. Yeah. Right? yeah and that quite, to the face. It really set the whole tone. Uh, people, you know, if I had a dime for every person who told me that they watched the first UFC, right. you know, or that they were actually there, I'd be a very rich very man today. Rich. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, uh, Taylor Tooley, who now is on that CBS show, uh, Hawaii Five O, right? Yeah, uh, and is a great guy, by the way. I talk to him every couple of months, and uh, he actually saved the event for me because uh, Horian and I lost control of the fighters' meeting. It was a disaster. Uh, you know, supposed to be no rules, and there got to be some issues about where you're going to wrap the knuckles. And suddenly, Zane Fraser, the kickboxer, and Art Jemison, the boxer, and it becomes chaos. And at one point, I saw Hicks and Gracie stand up, and I said, "This is either going to be very bad." Or very good. Oh, God. I don't know what's going to happen next? Because it looked like we were moving towards maybe a brawl. And it was that. There's actually a picture of me in the book. This is the rules meeting before the event mm-hmm. itself. Huh? Yeah, this, the is the, this is Thursday. Wow. This is Thursday At the night. hotel in At Denver, hotel. Colorado, yeah. in this smaller, right, kind of meeting room. It was, it was, it was a small ballroom. And right. the fighters were all, you know, scrunched in there. And I had, uh, I had the Gracies on my one side. I had Taylor Tooley in the back. And I had. Uh, Jimison and I had Zane Fraser right up front, and, mm-hmm. J- and Fraser is a very smart guy. I, I used to call him a jailhouse lawyer. He he was the kind of guy he'd bring up all kinds of issues, and and you know, Art, you're not considering this, and he turned the meeting into chaos. The guy who saved it was Taylor Tooley. He picked up the release that had the rules on it. He signed it. He slammed it down on the table. And the whole room got quiet, and he said, "I don't know about the rest of you guys." But I came here to party. <laughs> Whoever wants to party, I'll see you tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> that That's is awesome. awesome. Yeah. That and is whole, so epic. That was it. That, it, that, it was fine after that. Also, there's a great situation in the book that I did not witness, but uh, Todd Hester from Gladiator Magazine did, mm-hmm. about Hoyce kind of losing his composure during the dress rehearsal on, on Friday, about two or three hours before the show. What do you think that was? You talk about it a little bit in the book, uh, yeah. Hoyce breaks down crying right after that moment yeah. uh, before what do you think that was that was getting you know there? you know i uh, you know what's very interesting is that i saw very little of hoist that week they had him virtually in seclusion horian had rented another hotel room and they brought mats up from la and they were they was they were doing private grappling and training nobody could see it in fact they didn't want me in the while the night of the of the event uh in the dressing rooms Horian had paid for himself out of his own pocket to have an extra monitor. There was a general monitor for all the fighters, but Hoyce had his own monitor. And there was a phalanx of Brazilians guarding him like he was the Pope. And they were all the cardinals. I got to the door and knocked on it. And they said, Arturo, you can't come in. I said, what do you mean? Said, what do you mean? It's, <laughs> me. Mean? it's me. It's me. <laughs> no, Arturo, it was, it was, it was, this was a Brazilian thing at this point. Yeah, I wasn't coming in. So I, I did not see Hoyce much. Hickson had him totally... Uh, trained and focused. 
I think that the that the train was as much of a of a screening tool and device as anything else to keep Hoist totally on track. So I, I was very impressed by that, by the way. And uh, when you don't see Hicks and Gracie in UFC three, and Hoist is on his own, then you see Hoist running out of gas emotionally mm. and physically. Mm. Wow! So you so, think there's something to say there? Oh, I got to tell you. It was, in my humble opinion, and I, maybe others might disagree, I think Hicks and Spine was in Hoist's back. And to answer your question, I think he was under tremendous pressure, facing, exposing the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu art to the world. His father is there, the patriarch of the family, yeah. the, 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 the golden eagle himself. Mm. He, he's, he's 26 going on 17. It, it was all on his shoulders. And I think the pressure at one point. And who was it in, in the octagon? Who is embracing him and holding him and talking in his ear? Hickson. It's Hickson. Yeah. Wow. Who was supposed to be the guy to begin with? This. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I am so sad. We have to wrap up yeah, soon. Real but quick, you, though. Let's do some rapid fire questions. Yeah. Just quick answers. What do you What do you think about the UFC today as it is? I think it's excellent today. I think it's extraordinary. I like what they've done. I attended the 20th anniversary show. They're on the right track. These guys yeah. really know what they're doing. I mean, did you envision just at that point? I mean, now they're with Fox. And I mean, did you ever just think of how it would blow up, how it is now? John Milius used to say to me, John was the director, yeah. we were, to be our creative director. Mm-hmm. He used to say 20 years from today, 50 million people will be watching this on a given night. That's crowning some champion. So whether it's 20 or 40 years that that happens, he was saying that you, you, what you're doing is you're finding the real Mr. Universe. The, the real ultimate warrior. Yeah. But it's funny because even, even in the beginning, you mentioned how you wanted the show, or initially it was going to be in Brazil. Now it's like Brazil, China, uh, 15 New times Zealand, in the UK. Australia, you know? That yes. is so awesome. Exactly. Uh, do you ever think it'll be an Olympic sport of its own? You know, it could, but it, obviously that's a very complicated road to take. Right. And a number of things would have to happen. Uh, even John McCarthy was saying to me the other night that he would love to see a standardization of all the MMA rules and all the sanctioning bodies in all 49 states in this right. country. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. isn't there. So I think that there, there's quite a long road. And you know how complicated it can be mm-hmm. to get a new sport mm-hmm. uh, you know, adopted into the from reading your book, I do. (laughs) (laughs) We, I read how you did it, and it seemed very hard. So I can imagine it'll take another twenty, thirty years. But in our future, we might see MMA in the Olympics. Yeah, knock on wood. Maybe not. Maybe not a question, more of like a comment. Please, can you write a a follow up book? You know, George, I have a funny feeling if this book continues to be the uh, the success that it it appears to be initially, Mm -hmm. that I will probably be the the publisher, and others will say Mm -hmm. to me, "You should write the sequel." (laughs) I did eighteen UFCs. Uh, all the way up to UFC Japan in uh, December of 1998. Okay. I've got a lot more stories and a lot more skeletons in the closet. Oh, <laughs> maybe we'll have to do a part two with just Art Davey. But for now, we Sounds have to wrap good. it up, guys. Uh, Jay Tan, George Armosa, Art Davey, get in your plugs. Go ahead. Jay Tan. This is the only thing really to talk about right here. Is I agree. Is this legal? Again, available online, Amazon.com. Ascendbooks.com, Barnes and Noble stores, and the website. And uh, oh, and by the way, August twenty fourth, Club Nokia, University of MMA, Fight Night Eight. Tie it back to Art Davy. He will be there. We will be selling books. You can meet the man Woo! himself, shake yes. his hand, thank you, and have him sign. He'll be there for that. Me too. Everything that he said, <laughs> yeah, buy the book. Ditto. Same. Yeah. Ditto. We Ditto. will all be there. The Afterbus crew will be there August twenty mm-hmm. fourth at U of MMA. Cool. So please watch it. I'm excited. Hopefully we could sit next to each other. I would like that. Daria. That would be awesome. That'd be a pleasure. And we could talk. We could say, "Ooh, was that a rear naked choke from the nineties, <laughs> or is it a modern rear naked choke?" 
Anyway, guys, thank you so much for coming. My name's Daria Baronado. You can check me out at DariaRay.com, and I will soon be fighting for U of MMA with Jacob Tan. I don't know when yet, but soon. Uh, Art Davey, thank you so much. Where can we find you? On Twitter, Facebook? I'm on um, Art Davey on Everything. Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And we have a companion website to the book, isthislegalthebook.com. Right. Easy enough, isthislegalthebook.com. Guys, we will be back August 16th. We have a little bit of a break here because of you know some injuries going on in the UFC. But we will be back August 16th with an awesome card. Bader we'll versus St. Pruth. Thank you. OSP, yep. <laughs> it's exciting. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. <laughs> Buzz you later! The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.